I'm going to start off this morning uh, with an illustration that somewhat uh, would be controversial in our society, in our day, in our age. But the, the point of this illustration is to paint a picture for you of, of a scenario or a topic where two people would disagree on what is good and what is evil, what is evil and what is good. Um, I am what, what we would just classically call a, a pro-life Christian. And so, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, our, we're not going to talk about abortion in depth today, but as an illustration, I want, I want you to see kind of differences. I would say that I am pro-life. Other people might look at me and say that, no, he's not pro-life. He's anti-women's rights. That's what he is. He just doesn't w want women to have the right to choose. And I would step on, on this side and say, no, I, I'm, I'm pro-life. Um, I, I might look at someone and say, um, you know, they might say, hey, I'm pro-choice. And I would say, actually, no, you're, you're pro-abortion. And we don't even agree on the terminology for the, the other person, right? This is controversial. If, if you uh, were to, like, poll America as a whole, um, this is like a 50-50 thing. 50% of people would go one way, 50% of people would go another. If you were to poll our state, right, those who would call themselves pro-life um, are in the, a very small minority in, in our state, right? So this, this is a, a, a group of people, two groups of people who don't agree on what something is. And so from, from my stance, uh, I, I realize in, in this room, like, there, there are people who disagree on these two things, right? I mean, they're for, for sure, don't raise your hand. Uh, but I know that's true. Matter of fact, uh, after, after last service, I had someone say, hey, I'd love to sit down and debate you on this. And uh, I said, let's, let's, I, would, I don't want to really want to debate you, but I'd love to have a great civil adult conversation uh, around it. And I, I, I hope that we can. I, I realize also with this is sensitive for some people because uh, in a room this size, there are multiple people who've had an abortion. And it's, it's part of our culture. It's what you're told to do when you are pregnant and you don't want to do it. And so it's, it's this thing. Right? It's, it's a thing. It's a, real, it's a real thing. And so, who is right? Who has the authority to say, this is right, this is wrong? How do, how do, how do we receive authority, and, and what authority do we submit to? Is it, is it the government? Because the government says it's okay. You know, but our government also said slavery was okay at one point. And did that, the government saying slavery is okay, make slavery okay? No, okay. Uh, the German government, uh, Hitler said, hey, let's, it's, it's okay to, uh, to, to, do, to do this, to do this to the whole Jews, to just get rid of all of them. Government can't be it. Government's moral compass is, is broken, right? So, so where does the authority come from? Um, I, I would say this with, a, with a, a stern warning as we look at this today. And again, I'm not, this is my, just pointing out what it is to say good and evil. Isaiah tells us, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. When it comes to what is good and what is evil, we better get it right. It's not something that, that we just nonchalantly throw around. And if we're honest, most people in our, our country kind of think through these things based off of their political party. And not through the actual facts. It's just, hey, we're just going to tow party lines one way or the other. And so, as we look at God's word today, um, I, I want us to, to look at God's word going, okay, we want what God wants. 
we want God's kingdom to come. You know, have, many of you have heard the Lord's Prayer. Uh, two different versions of the Lord's, Lord's, Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount versus the Sermon on the Plain. Matthew versus Luke kind of lays those out a little differently. Um, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he says in Matthew. And in Luke, he says, your kingdom, your kingdom come. He leaves out your, your will be done. As, as we look at things of good and evil, we look at like what, how we disagree on things. Like we, we should come to a spot of like, no, Lord, we want what you want. And so here's the big truth as we open up God's word this morning. Here's, here's what I want us to walk away with. God's kingdom has come, and his will will be done. His kingdom has come. It is in the person and work of Jesus. And in this moment, in this text, the kingdom has arrived. He is there in the flesh. God is among them. And his will, God's will, it will be done. It is going to happen. Uh, we're going to see that throughout the rest of, rest of Scripture. Where we're going to see it throughout the rest of history. We're going to see God's will, uh, and it will be done. So, uh, we're, we're picking back up where we left off last week in Luke chapter 13. And we're going to be in verses 10 through 21 today. We're going to go ahead, we're going to read that passage as a whole, and then we'll go back and we'll begin to break it apart. Verse 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you're freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which we work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from the bonds uh, on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew, and it became a tree. And the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like a little leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. In the past few weeks, as we have been in the book of Luke, I say past few weeks, uh, we're, I think we're, we're nine months in. Uh, if, 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 if Luke were a baby, we'd be having it, right? We're, we're way on in here, you know? Like, actually, we're more, we're more than nine. We're ten. So we, 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 would, oh, we would be miserable right now with uh, cry, staying up all night and crying and all that stuff. So uh, that's where we would be. We'd be tired. Um, so we've been in Luke a long time. In these past few weeks, what we see is that Jesus has um, really taken and called 
the Pharisees, the lawyers, the Jewish people to repentance. He, he, has, he has warned them, and, and he has, has said, like, you need to come to Christ. You, um, you, you must repent. Repent or you're going to, to perish. Uh, last week we closed with this parable of a fig tree. And Jesus tells this story about a fig tree. And there's a gardener. And the gardener has this fig tree in the garden. This fig tree is taking up space. And this fig tree isn't producing figs. And so the, the uh, owner of the garden comes to the gardener and says, Hey, take and cut that fig tree down and let's replace it. And, and the gardener says, no, let's, let's try, like, let's give, it, let's give it one more shot. Let's, like, work around the roots. Let's put fertilizer on the roots, and let's see if then it will produce figs. Let's see if it will bear fruit. And uh, the owner of the garden says, all right, that's fine. We'll give it one more year. But if it doesn't, cut it down and throw it away. Well, this is a, this is a parable about Israel. And Israel has stopped producing figs. And Jesus has come to, to reconcile man to himself. And does that fig tree produce figs or does it stop producing figs? And, and what I believe that Jesus was telling us was like, that tree has a little more time and then it's gone. And I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a new work. And I'm going to do it not just in the Israelites, but in the Gentiles also. It's no longer about the kingdom of Israel. It is now about the kingdom of God. And that, that, that kingdom is going to include Gentiles also. And so what we begin to start seeing in the book of Luke right now is the ushering in of the kingdom of God. The language is going to start talking more and more and more about God's kingdom. Jesus is preaching God's kingdom. God's kingdom is come. His will is going to be done. And it's going to happen through the person and work in Jesus. So here they are walking into the synagogue. Jesus teaching uh, in the synagogue as was his custom early on in his ministry. Now, as we go into this text, I want you to know this is likely, scholars believe, one of, if not the last time Jesus preached in a synagogue. Because he was run out of the synagogue, right? He, they, they ran him out. They did not want. So he takes to the highways and the byways and the back roads and in the city streets preaching the gospel because he's no longer welcome in the synagogue. So this is one of the last times as he brings his kingdom message. So let's start in verse 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Now, here's my first big idea. Our reaction to God's mercy should be to glorify God. That should be our natural response. And our reaction uh, to God's mercy is to glorify God. Now, let's look at what we know. Um, this is a, a woman, right? And a woman who has had this ailment for 18 years. This woman is made in the image of God. She was created sustained, cared for, and loved by God. That's what we know. That is her position. Uh, th is that something that, that she earned favor with God or uh, was just a good enough person that God loved her and God healed her? Well, that's not how that works, right? She is a sinner. 
She needs a savior. God loves her. God, it's God's divine plan to reconcile her unto himself through the son, Jesus Christ. We know she came in that day, right? She's a woman. She's sick. We know she came in that day. We don't know if this was her custom. Maybe for years and years and years, she came in the synagogue uh, every Sabbath, every Saturday. Maybe she was there week in and week out. Maybe she, she in her, even in her disability, served and worked work for the Lord. But maybe she didn't. Maybe this was her very first time ever going to synagogue. Maybe she had heard this, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He's been healing people other places. He's at my local synagogue. If I can muster up the energy in my disability to make it there, I'm going to make it there. Now, this is what we know about her. We, we see that she matters in God's eyes. But do you think she mattered in that ruler's eyes? Do you think, do you think that that just in general, within the culture, within, within the, the, the public sphere, do you think that she had equal dignity, value, and worth? Well, no. Do you know that that would be true today? Do you know that, the, that if, if someone has a disability, someone's old, they're, they're going downhill, that, that we, don't, we don't look at them and, and say, oh, man, that they have equal dignity, value, and worth. We, we don't. In our sinfulness and our brokenness, the same reason we look at a, an, an unborn baby and we go, it doesn't have the same equal dignity, value, and worth, so do we look at it on the older end of the sphere. We don't, we don't look at humans thinking that all humans are created in the image of God and, and deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. We don't look at all others and go, that is our neighbor. We're to love them as ourself. Right? Um, we, we, we don't look. We, we, we look at those with disabilities as less than. And so that would have happened to her. Um, let's talk about the disability. Um, she would had it 18 years. That's how we know she was a woman. Because if she was a man, she would have died already. Um, men can have like a hangnail for like, or, uh, for like 18 hours and we're like ready to die. We would have been in there begging Jesus to heal us, you know. We're like, oh, I'm hurt. I hurt my toe. It's so bad. Like we, we're, we're not what women are when it comes to pain. And so she was a woman, 18 years. And she has this disability. Um, scholars kind of have consensus. This, this was mo most likely something called, and I'm going I'm to butcher this word, uh, spondylitis deformans. And it's a condition that affects the, the vertebral bones of the spine and is characterized by the presence of these little bony spurs called osteophytes along the edges of the bones of the spine. Now, I'm familiar with this because my granny, my good old granny, had it. My mom's mom had it, and she lived in our home the last years of her life. I didn't live in the home at the time, but she lived with my mom, and, and she was very bent over, and it just got worse and worse, and she would wear this thing that tried to straighten her out, but her spine was just fusing together, and it was extremely painful. Um, she was, she was a, a, a godly woman and, and loved the Lord, and she was in a lot of pain, and I, I would remember seeing her just in tears. Uh, using her walker to try to get around that house to do normal stuff. And about the only thing that brought her in, any comfort was um, a little pain medicine, uh, the lazy boy that could get her at the right angle so it didn't matter, and uh, the gaither. She'd pop in these gaither VHS tapes, and she'd get out her hanky, and she'd sing, I'd fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. Like, she was in so much pain, she was ready to go be with Jesus. And so you have to know that this woman is coming in and, and this, has, this, this disability is a painful disability. 
I, I wish I could have healed my granny. Um, I remember one instance of being in Ethiopia. And I saw somebody with this disease. And they were so bent over that I looked at them and I thought, this would be easier to crawl than to walk. They're, 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 I mean, they were just looking at the ground and they were in pain. And do you know that no, I mean, there, there was no mercy for the beggar. It's part of our hard hearts, our hard human condition that we looked at the disability. But here's, here's Jesus. This woman walks into the synagogue and what does he do but this act of mercy? This woman didn't earn it. She didn't deserve it. She didn't come with a price to pay for it. She didn't offer this. She, she had nothing to bring. It's a disabled woman, and it is an act of mercy. It, it, it's, it's nothing else. It is God's healing hand. And so God, because he's good, and he loves her, and he cares for her, through Jesus, his son, he heals her. And what is her response? Is it, man, look at this. I healed myself. Look at this thing that I did. Well, could you heal this too? I, mean, I, I would ask, ask this question. Do you think she was the only person there that they that need to be healed of something? But he chose her in that moment. And, 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 he, and he looks down and he, and he heals her. And her response is to glorify God. When we, when we open up the Bible and we read through the Bible, one of the things that you're going to find is that God's glory is extremely important. God, God's renown, God being known for who he is. Matter of fact, in, in, in different times, in different places in, in history, uh, we've tried to write uh, kind of succinct statements uh, about the, the Bible. And in one, it's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, it, it's the it's this statements of, of faith. The very first one says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, we see God's glory. So the very thing that she does in her healing is really what she was created for. She was created to bring God glory. At Overland Church, our mission statement is very similar. We want to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. We're, we, we exist to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ. So that doesn't mean that uh, on Sunday mornings we, we gather and we glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ from the stage. No, it means the collection of people that make up Overland Church that our job as individuals is to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ throughout our daily lives. Just as this woman did. That there would be great gospel impact, not because we have one or two people preaching, but because we have 300 people saying it is about God's kingdom. It is about God's glory. That's not what happened with the ruler of the synagogue. Let's look in verse 14. The ruler of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Here's my big idea. If you're not for God's kingdom, you're against it. If you're not for God's kingdom, you're against it. And so I, I use that kind of heavy opening illustration about what it means to be pro-life versus um, uh, pro-choice 
Uh, and I realize there's a heaviness to that, in, uh, that illustration, but it's, it's to show, like, there's a significance in being for, for God or against God. There's a significance in being what's, what's good and what's evil. And, and this guy gets it wrong. He essentially, like others have done in, in recent weeks, they make this case against Jesus that Jesus is doing evil things. And they get it totally wrong. And, and Jesus warns, if you're not for me, you're against me. Here's the first thing he gets wrong. He gets the Sabbath wrong. He's legalistic about the Sabbath. This has been the case. Jesus has corrected this already. Now, I can say, well, they're legalistic about the Sabbath. And the reason I have to use a heavy illustration is because we are not legalistic about the Sabbath. Right? The Sabbath means essentially nothing to our culture and our time. We could care less. It's a, it's a, it's a day that, you know, you get your long run in, you get to go on a hike, it's the day you do your grocery shopping, it's the day you do, like, your leisurely stuff, it's not a day dedicated, dedicated to Christ, right? So, I use the heavy illustration, but the, the reality is, like, this was a big deal in their time. This was as big of a deal and as controversial as it is for us to talk about abortion and, 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 and women's rights. Like, that's how heavy this is. And so, this guy is not for Jesus. Therefore, he is against Jesus. And I want you to understand something. That is incredibly dangerous. Jesus already handled this. He had, he had been teaching. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord over the Sabbath. But then there comes the problem. It's that Jesus is Lord. That the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. And he did not. This man, what we know about this woman, here's what we know about the man. This man is in power. Right? He's the ruler of the synagogue. And all of a sudden, there's someone teaching in the synagogue that threatens his power. And so he doesn't want to lose his power. And it makes him indignant. It makes him mad. He's furious. He's also a coward. Well, those are, those are fighting words, aren't they? Well, he was. Here's why he's a coward. Did he address Jesus? He didn't call out Jesus. He didn't address Jesus. He, he addressed the people who he had power for. Don't listen to this man. I, don't, don't, don't reason with this man. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on, these days and be healed. Don't you dare get healed on the Sabbath. What else do we know? He's merciless, right? He has no mercy. This woman has been incredibly hurt with a disability for 18 years. You'd think if he loved this woman, if he loved this neighbor, if he cared for her, he would be thrilled that she was healed. You know, in the life of our church, we have had people go through some ser really serious stuff. I think about Carl Wilson. This time last year, Carl Wilson was in the middle of a cancer, cancer battle. And he, he was... He was you know, he, he had cancer, he was doing chemo, and man, as the Lord healed him, what did our church do? We celebrated, we loved him, we cared for him, we were there for him. Uh, a, a, a few weeks ago, you know, I got to spend some time with Carl and Kiana, and we, we, were, we were hiking, and um, I was smoking them, and, and right behind me was Kiana, he was way down the hill, and you know, I was like, man, I looked at him, and I was kind of laughing to myself, because he was huffing and puffing, and I was like, this time last year, this dude was in the middle of chemo, and here he is. Here he is dragging himself up this mountain. Man, God is good, right? I would think that if there's, there's somebody in, in, in our congregation who's, who's, who's sick, who's got something, that's got this illness, we would rejoice. But yet, 
This is not what he does. He's more worried about the fact that Jesus healed on a Sabbath and this woman got healed. He had no mercy. Here's the reality. This man's got his own disability. And it's his sinfulness. He's spiritually dead. His faith is in his own self-righteous works. His faith is not in God. His faith is in what he can do. And therefore, he's got his own disability. And it's actually far worse than hers. He's spiritually dead. So what does Jesus do? The same thing he's been doing. He calls for repentance. He calls for correction. He, he challenges it. Now, I, I would just, just remind you how serious this is to come against Jesus. Luke, 20, Luke 11, 23, a few weeks ago, Jesus said, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And what did, what did he mean when he said scatters? He meant that is not going to end well for them because I am bringing, as my kingdom comes, those who are against my kingdom are going to scatter. They're, they're, they're in trouble. Listen to what Isaiah says. I, I, I quoted a little bit of it, but he says, Woe to those who call evil good and, and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, and who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who think you've got it figured out and aren't submitting to the authority of Jesus. That, that is the message, and woe to this man. So listen to what the Lord does. Listen to this. He says, Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. And so notice, he, he didn't just call out the one. He called out the, the, those in control. He called out those who were with the leader, who, who were taking sides with him. Does not each of you, on the Sabbath, untie his ox or his donkey from, from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on this Sabbath day? And so he's making this argument. Um, you take better care of your animals, of your dumb ox. You do these things for your animals. You give them water. You justify the work that you have to do on the Sabbath, but, but condemn me for healing her. You'll give them water. And, and by the way, Jesus wasn't opposed for, for the ox getting water, right? Jesus would, yeah, care for the animals. Uh, Jesus would, would, what do you say? Like if your ox is in the ditch... Get it out, right? His disciples walking through the grain fields, bend down and get grain to eat. Uh, the, they're like, hey, they're working on the Sabbath. And he's like, well, they got to eat, right? Jesus wasn't opposed to this. He's, he's showing their hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy is you are merciless. You let your, your donkey get water, but you won't let this woman get healed? What, what type of monster are you? He shows them this. This woman has value and worth. Remember, these are Israelites. These are sons and daughters of Abraham. And so he shows this woman. She's one of your own. She, she is a, a, a Jewish person. Don't you, want her to, don't you want her to be healed? And so he makes this case. And as he says these things, verse 17, all his adversaries were put to shame. And then all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. And so here's my next big idea. Is that those who do not follow Christ will be put to shame. And those who follow Christ are welcomed into his kingdom. Like, these are the two options. You have the option. You follow Christ or you don't. We talked about last week that every man has a day appointed with a judge. 
that, that, judge, being, that, that judge being Jesus as he sits in that, in that spot. That every man has a day appointed to die. We all will meet our makers. No one in this room is going to live forever unless Christ returns first. And when Christ returns, we'll still get to meet the judge. So every one of us with our life will stand before, we'll stand before God and have to answer for our life. We have to answer for our, our sin. And, and those who do not follow Christ, they're going to stand up on their own merit, their own righteousness. And our self-righteousness is going to fall short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that, and it is easy to look around and see it, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we look around our, our city, our culture, our town, our Neighbors, you cannot spend a lot of time without realizing, man, we live in a broken and fallen world. What broke our world? Sin broke our world. And so that's the, the one we live in. And those who reject it, Jesus is teaching this, those who reject Christ and his kingdom, I mean, their, their outcome would be separation from God. And separation from God is in hell. It is eternal torment. There's nothing good about it. It is far as heaven as you could be. But those who follow Christ, those who believe, those who see these things and rejoice at the glorious things that were done by him and believe in him, those who, who the Bible says, those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Those who say, Jesus is Lord, he is king of my life, he's ruler. I'm no longer ruler, but Christ is ruler, he is king. Those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, and they believe in their heart that God raised his son from the dead, that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for our sins, that he died the death that we deserve. While we deserve punishment, God showed us mercy, and he put his own son on the cross with his hands and his feet nailed to the cross and a crown of thorns on his head. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He was put in a grave and he was raised to life on the third day. That's the good news of the gospel. Those who follow Christ, who believe in the Lord Jesus, are saved and they are welcomed into his kingdom. And I'll tell you, the kingdom of God is where you want to be. And so he said this. Verse 18, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what to, what, what, and to what shall I compare it? Is it like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden? And it grew, and it became a big tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. Verse 20, and again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened um, when when we open up God's word and we we look at it and we try to figure out what it means there there there's some passages that, that require a different levels of interpretation different passages of scripture you interpret different and we, we call this hermeneutics and and how we do it and so um, often in this world uh, we try to stretch it we try to be wise and cunning and we try to, to try to take these uh, different sorts of parables and stories and often try to draw more meaning out of them that's actually there. And so more than likely, if you've heard this pre passage preached many times, you've heard what we would call an exegetical fallacy. 
it, it's, a, it's a fallacy. It's not, not true. I've heard so many uh, fallacies, uh, wrong meanings and interpretations that kind of exploit this to probably mean more than what we can actually look to the Scriptures and say that it does. Here's what I think he's telling us. A grain of mustard, it's a tiny grain, it is very small. It is, it is here, and you see it, and it is going to grow into something really big. Right? That's what it means. Like, this, this kingdom of God that is right here in this moment, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It is really small right now. But this thing is growing. This thing is, is, is going to grow. He uses, again, uh, the, the leaven. What shall I compare, compare the kingdom of God? It's like a little leaven. Right? We have negative examples in Scripture of leaven. Uh, corrupting, working through the whole batch of dough. But here it's in a positive. It's like a little bit of leaven. You take just a little bit of yeast and you put it in dough. And in that process, it is going to take and it's going to make the whole, uh, the whole bread rise. It's going to grow that, that dough. It's going to work through. Uh, that little bit of yeast is going to work through the whole batch of dough. And so he hit it in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And so what he's, te- what, what he's teaching is, this is the kingdom of God. And it's, and, and right now to us, it seems like it's starting out really small. This thing is going to grow. We look in the Bible, and we look kind of in, like all throughout the Bible, take a 50,000-foot view, and we look at the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is where he reigns. God's kingdom is, is, is where he reigns. And so what do we know? Where, where does God reign? God, God reigns everywhere, Right? Every dot, every iota, every, every little thing in the whole cosmos, God reigns in. But has his kingdom come and his will be done in all of those places yet? No, but he is in the process of bringing his kingdom, making his kingdom, making all things new, redeeming everything and reconciling everything to himself. And so here's this next big idea, is that God's kingdom is everywhere he reigns, and he reigns everywhere. You may just not see it yet. Now, now can you imagine being in that situation that day, uh, the coming months that would lead up to his crucifixion, and then his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the explosion of the new church? Like, if you're in this moment and you live a few more years, you're going, okay, I see this tiny mustard seed, and we see it growing. And then you die. 2,000 years later, what do we know? This little group of people, this little band of followers of Jesus, and Jesus, that out from them comes the world's largest religion. There are almost double the amount of Christians than any other religion in the world. Right? This, this thing has grown. But yet, if, if we were to spend our afternoon going out and surveying people in our community, in our town, would we walk away encouraged or discouraged? we go, man, there's a lot of Christians here. Or we walk away going, you know what? Is God's kingdom really coming? This thing seems like it's going backwards. It seems like there are less people who believe this than there were 25 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, or 5 years ago. Um, you know, if, if you were to look on paper in, in our community, it depends on where, where you read. You could, you could Google this today, and you might get reports that say, man, 30% of Fort Collins is Christian. And man, that, that, by the way, that would have to include um, Mormons and mainlines and Protestants and all over the place, right? But if you were to go today and you were to walk around, let's just 
let's just throw out some general places. The Small Mart, Target, Dick's, um, Jackson, Old Town. You got to walk around these different, different places. And you were to do a survey, and you would say, hey, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead to save sinners like you and I? How many people would give you the answer, I do? Would 30 out of 100 say, yeah, I do believe that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it would be that number. Would, would it be 20? College students, if we walked on campus and we asked that question on campus, I, I think how many out of 100 would laugh at you? Like 99 out of 100? Now, like you might get, like, get a group of Christians walking together, right? And, and you're like, okay. God's providence, I hit the jackpot, right? But um, outside of that, what you would find is, no, it's probably a couple percent. One, two, three people out of a hundred. And so how are you going to say that God's kingdom is growing? Well, I'm telling you, it is. That if you could pull back and you could see on an individual basis what God is doing in people's lives, you would know, man, God is God is moving. There are more Christians today than there were yesterday, and there will be more Christians on this earth tomorrow than there was today. The reality is that God is moving and working, that he is seeking and saving the lost, that he's reconciling all things unto himself. And even, even if that number starts going backwards, it doesn't mean that God is not bringing people into his kingdom and he is bringing the, the, his, his plan and his will. One of my favorite things to do as, as one of the, the pastors at Overland Church is baptism interviews and membership interviews because I get to hear our people's stories. And in baptism interviews, when I sit down, I'm often moved to tears because I see someone who was in rebellion and in sin and whose life had fallen apart. And when they had nowhere else to turn, they turned to Jesus. And Jesus reconciled them. He brought them. He made them new. And he changed their life. There are so many testimonies of God's kingdom and his reign in the hearts of people. And so listen, God's, God's kingdom is everywhere he reigns, and he reigns everywhere. But the question you have to ask yourself today is, does he reign in my heart? Where is my heart? Have I surrendered? Have I called Jesus Lord? Because we see in Scripture there are but two options. It is to reject the kingdom of God or be welcomed into the Here's my encouragement to you today. If you have never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, do it today. Don't wait another day. It is the decision you will not regret. Life is so much better in the will of God, walking with Jesus, than it is out of it. He is extending his hand of mercy and grace to you. There's two things you need to understand. You are not good enough to earn favor and earn salvation with God. And no one is so bad that he wouldn't save them. There's nothing that you've done that God won't put his mercy on you and welcome you into his kingdom. And the Bible says that the way that we do that is by, by crying out to God, confessing to God, I am a sinner, and God, I believe in you, and I need you to save me. I'm repenting, I'm turning from my sins, and I'm placing my faith and trust in you. And the scriptures are clear. Once you do that, the next thing that you need to do is tell the world in baptism that I am a new creation in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. 
for the believer in the room. The believer in the room who looks around at the condition of the world and gets discouraged, let me tell you today, do not be discouraged. God's kingdom has come. His will be done. He is reigns every, over everything and everywhere, and we will see it with our own eyes. So, Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom, and that you're making all things new, that you're redeeming that was, which was broken, you're redeeming that which was shattered by sin and that you are actively putting the pieces back together. May we be a people who have received your mercy and do just like that lady. And we go and we glorify you. Lord, let us glorify you by proclaiming the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in our community, on this campus, and the very ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.